Welcome to the Savage Leader Podcast, where I interview leaders from all walks of life so that you can walk away with tips to apply to your life and your career. But this isn't your traditional leadership podcast, because I believe that leadership tips come from successful entrepreneurs and business executives, of course, but they also come from unexpected places, like from Navy SEALs, successful professional athletes, sports coaches, musicians, entertainers, and more. So let's dive right in to today's episode. My hope is you walk away with something tangible that you can apply immediately to your life and your career. Today's guest on the Savage Leader Podcast is Kurt Koffer. Kurt is a partner and chief marketing officer of Ad Results Media, the world's leading audio and podcast marketing agency. Kurt, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Darren. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I always love a good origin story. Can you take me back to the founding of your firm, Brown Bear Digital, that eventually merged to become Ad Results Media? Yeah. Um, man, the story probably goes back uh, to, you know, uh, well before the actual founding of, of the firm Brown Bear back into, you know, post-college and and sort of what I was doing with, with my career out of college. I was working in finance. Um, finance was a you know, uh, an industry and sort of a, a job path that I kind of fell into just based on the necessity of, of paying college loans and, and trying to just get work. And, um, but it wasn't necessarily my passion or, or something that I connected with. Um, and, you know, I ended up being in finance for about seven years, uh, seven or eight years. Um, and during that time, what I started to realize was that, you know, I wasn't passionate about what I was doing. Um, there were other areas, um, you know, where I felt like I can make a bigger impact both to, um, you know, my happiness um, and to potentially others in a way that that felt sort of, um, you know, again, more deep and meaningful just in terms of like what my journey may be in my, my career and my life. Um, fast forward, you know, I ended up getting into digital marketing. Not that that was, you know, you know, putting me on this path towards, you know, righteousness or, or anything like that. But you know, I really kind of saw a creative path for myself and, and, you know, digital marketing was great because I had sort of a, a finance and analytics background. Um, and it was during sort of my time working on the client side in, in digital media at ProFlowers and, and Sherry's Berries, where I started to understand that I, I didn't think necessarily my path was, was sort of a corporate one, whether it be in finance or whether it be in in digital media, working on the client side for organization, I really felt my path was was bigger or or different, right? In terms of, you know, how could I take learnings from my life or or instinctual sort of um, uh, values that I that I may have had and, and sort of spread them, you know, um, you know, across a wider group of people to try and impact them, you know, and in that way, I would find sort of success and happiness and joy in my career. Right. So the genesis of, of the of the agency and the firm Brownberg Digital was sort of an amalgamation of, you know, me wanting to, you know, have a vehicle to, you know, sort of get my message out there or to satiate this desire to sort of spread values um, while also seeing a, just generally seeing a market opportunity. Right. Like I was happy to get into digital marketing. I saw a real opportunity with, you know, in addition to my business partners at Brown Bear in sort of podcasting and performance media so the two worlds kind of just sort of combined where I saw the opportunity, 
you know, for, you know, creating a, a business where that could be successful, but also from a interpersonal point of view, use that business as a, a medium or a vehicle to, you know, to bring my values out. Um, Brown Bear, the name itself originated, um, it, it was named after my son's uh, children's book, uh, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? And, and part of that was really sort of the, again, sort of bring centering ourselves in terms of like, what do we want this organization to stand for? Um, values being sort of at the top of that, right? And family values maybe being one or sort of coming from that point of view of like, would my family be proud of me if I made this decision or that decision or in this approach or if I took risk or not took risk? Um, so Brown Bear was a constant reminder sort of of sort of that genesis and those values that we wanted to, to deploy after, you know, we launched Brown Bear. It really impressed me several, I guess, years ago when we sat down for lunch and you talked about establishing those value pillars even before you had a company. I thought it was really impressive and because it's so important for leaders to have their own personal values, to have leadership teams having their values, and of course, organizational values. Can you talk through that a bit in terms of what those values were and how you really integrate that into your early firm? Yeah, I mean... Um... <sighs> You know, the values in themselves, you know, probably came from a lot of life and work experiences, right? Things that resonated with me and at certain points in my life or with, you know, within you know, my job or career within finance and obviously with digital marketing. Um, but some of them were just sort of instinctual, too. And and, you know, as I um, was working, whether it's in finance or again, at ProFlowers, you know, where I wasn't finding joy, what I did find joy in was sort of putting ideas and these values down on paper, right? It offered sort of a open door for me to say, hey, like this is sort of how I view what I want and what I would want to get out of my career. And, you know, just the sheer fact of writing it down on paper and sort of crafting something that may go around that made me feel like there was hope that I wouldn't necessarily be just sort of working in this corporate job for the next 30 years and, and sort of on this, you know, trajectory of, Hey, I get to be a senior manager or a director of this or that, you know, where I was, I was stationing that desire to, to create much, much more. So the Genesis was really sort of born out of, you know, trying to create hope for myself of like, Hey, like at least there's an open door here. Or if I, if I put this down on paper, it becomes more real. You know, and once I put it on paper, I could start crafting ideas about how I could bring those values to life, which may be in the form of an agency or another type of business. Right. But again, it was me kind of sitting at my desk, you know, kind of wishing and hoping and thinking that, you know, there, there might be something bigger or or different for, you know, for me in, in terms of my career. Now, values are so important and so many leaders that we work with, we talk about what's their sense of purpose, whether they're trying to find a new job and connecting that purpose with the job or just even within their organization. So how did you take that next step? So you had these values on paper, you had this idea, you saw a market opportunity for a new agency. So how did you make that connection, including with your co-founders? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, tactically, I, I, we went out to lunch together um, and we sort of spoke about the idea. And, and really, we spoke about, you know, the need to um, be true to who we are, right? Sort of be authentic to the approach that we wanted to take, um, be authentic to and confident in trust in ourselves of, you know, that strategy, right? So, hey, let's instill these, these brand pillars, these values, so to speak, and sort of craft a filtering mechanism for all the decisions that we make from there, 
right? So if we were going to create values around, um, you know, leadership or um, honesty or transparency or high character or, um, you know, freedom and accountability, entrepreneurship, creativity, so on and so forth, you know, we were going to actually use those as our mechanism for, um, for filtering, right? So what decisions can, can and need to be made that sort of roll through, you know, that process. And that could be anything from our hiring, you know, do these people align with our values? It could be clients. Do these clients fit our value chain, right? Do we, do we want to work with jerks? You know, do we not want to work with jerks? What's the inflection point where, you know, the money that we need as a startup, you know, doesn't trump, you know, working with somebody who doesn't necessarily meet our value set, right? Um, you know, the removal of ego in, in making those decisions, right? To be objective about the decisions that we're making. You know, those were all very important components to crafting our strategy, but sticking with it, right? Saying, okay, like, you know, there are plenty of times when we launched our business and we were working out of our car that we said no to new business because either the client didn't necessarily align with us from a values perspective or, um, you, you know, we didn't think that we were going to, you know, be able to do a good job for the client and we didn't necessarily want to hurt them or hurt our reputation, right? So a lot of it was our filtering mechanism. And, and what we found through that, strangely enough, is the more we said no, the more we became in demand. The more we stayed true to our values and the authenticity of what we wanted to create, the more it resonated with people. People just wanted to work with good people, people who, you know, kind of stood for something and, and weren't necessarily just about like the incremental scent or the marginal utility of each employee or each thing that we brought to the table it was bigger than that and it was bigger than ourselves and i i really feel like that that sort of resonated with the folks we worked with and then all of a sudden like our name sort of the spread around certain communities that like hey you really need to talk to these guys are fantastic people um plus they do they do great work yeah, a lot of companies have values they put them on their walls but they don't necessarily live them i think that's fantastic you guys are actually truly being authentic to them. But how did you communicate those values, especially in the early days, externally to customers? So how do they get that impression of being transparency and fairness and honesty and a lot of the things that you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that was through the the campaign work that we did, right? So building transparency, for example, you know, we if, if we were working with a podcaster, um, a podcaster sends us an invoice for, for the spot you know, we'll show the cost of that invoice and then our cost on top of that, right? And then the fact that we won't, don't do any markups, we don't make any shady deals with, with, you know, with podcasters or networks or whatever the case is where there's kickbacks, right? So truly in its most like simple sense, like even the fact that we're being 100% transparent with billing kind of fit our values, right? And then it's saying like, hey, like you guys want to spend a million dollars with us in this channel, right? I, you know, and we would go back to them and say, like, well, we don't necessarily think that's the best use of your million dollars, even if it means that you don't spend any money with us. Like, we truly don't think this is the right place for you to put your money because it's not going to give the performance that you want. Um, and, you know, we'll give recommendations of like, why don't you try deploying these dollars into this channel? And it might be a channel that we don't even manage as an agency. Right. But we truly want to do what's right for them, you know, to say, like, hey, you may not be thinking about this right in the way that, you know, in our opinion, maybe try and do X, Y, and Z. So it wasn't about chasing dollars. It was about doing what we felt was the right thing, you know, and, and sort of treating those clients like, you know, or treating those folks like maybe they were our client or that their money was our money. 
but it was really truly just about like that filtering of like hey let's recommend the right thing and if it doesn't work out this time you know likely they're going to hopefully they're going to come back to us and our reputation our reputation will precede us right um you know so it was things like that also sort of being being honest and direct in our communications with clients um you know was was a really important factor we just didn't necessarily give them a sales pitch um and bs them uh we were direct if we felt something looked good or, or wasn't good and, and i but we always did it in a way that was obviously professional and um you know from the point of view of like here's what we truly feel like is best for you first and not necessarily best for us right definitely a long-term strategy and easier said than done. I'm sure a lot of companies can claim to do that and really sticking to those values and those ethics, but really challenging, obviously, to truly live up to those things. It was, you know, particularly, obviously, in the early days where, you know, you're, you're strapped for cash. Um, you know, we, we quit our jobs and, and, you know, we all had small children and mortgages at the time. And here we were kind of working out of our car trying to get clients in an industry that honestly is incredibly saturated and competitive. And that's, that's agencies, right? Like digital agencies or, or just marketing agencies in general. It's an insanely saturated community, particularly even in San Diego. Um, you know, but we truly felt like we had something of value to offer. And I, and I honestly think, you know, the trust and confidence in ourselves was, you know, something that we, we always kind of held close to us. Um, and we truly felt, truly felt like we had something valuable to offer relative to the market. So, you know, the, the hope was that we stay true to ourselves, the money will come, just sort of stick with it. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to, you know, to, to where that happened. What's interesting is like, you know, I, there was some people along the way, be like, oh, you're so lucky, like this happened, this broke for you, that broke for you. And I'll accept that. I'll be like, sure. But I also know, I read a great quote once that like in the back of my mind, is like, it takes 10 years to become lucky. Right. And again, going back to your first question, like a lot of these things, myself and, and my two business partners, you know, we felt these ways going back to, you know, our, our early careers. Right. Like what is what is the type of environment we want to create and cultivate and be a part of for a third of our life, which is you know, work. Right. Like how do we become and create a situation for ourselves that we're proud of each and every day and that we are happy with true happiness, like true joy. Right. Not just like surface happiness of like a win here or a win there. You know, hey, I. We won this account. We won that account. We, I lost five pounds today. I did this. I did that. Right. Those are sort of like happiness tick marks, so to speak. But like true joy comes from sort of that that realization that you've crafted something that that is truly authentic to to really like your core, right, and who you are, and then you were able to find success from that, which is incredibly validating. Yeah, joy is definitely a, a tough thing for people to achieve. So that's great. You can find that by truly being authentic. I, I found for myself and people that I've coached is, is when you can tap into who you are most authentically, that's when you can a be more happy, but also just so much more successful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because the more, I mean, it provides clarity, right. In a lot of ways, it provides clarity of thought, clarity of decision-making. Um, again, it, it sort of creates that North star where you don't have to overthink something too much because you're just staying true to yourself, something that's really sort of natural. Um, and if it's if it's something that resonates with people, then you're going to be hyper successful, you know, hopefully fairly quickly. Um, you know, and it, it's kind of amazing how um, something so simple can, you know, you know, to me, it was I was almost surprised by like, wait, so you're saying like there was this much demand for just kind of good people doing good things, 
right? And like it, it almost didn't compute for me at first. It was just something that I felt was like, well, this is just the right way to approach business, right? Like this is just the right thing to do. But you know, when we started talking to like a lot of New York clients or or potential New York clients, it was like they were craving this sort of approach to like honesty and transparency and straight talk and somebody who is willing to come in and be like, we don't think this is the best use of your money to spend it with us. Why don't you spend it here? And they almost wanted more of it. Right. And maybe I didn't have an understanding of the New York agency world and naivety, you know, naivete played a part in it, but um, I was almost surprised by sort of the, the way it resonated. Yeah, definitely just back to the, in terms of having values and purpose and why the word that you used earlier, which I think is really powerful, which is filtering in terms of filtering decisions, choices that you make. I think about often my own personal why. And just months ago, there was something that I felt was totally incongruent with my why. And actually my wife coached me during this amazing five minute session in the morning and helped me understand that how that was consistent. And it's really so useful in terms of guiding some of those decisions and things that you choose to do and not to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, the why is important, even as you, as you grow your business, um, it's incredibly important for, for you to believe in your why, um, but also to make sure that the folks that you have on board understand the why it's contextualized and that they, you know, believe in it also, right? Like you necessarily can't have any doubt in what you're doing if you want other people to follow you without doubt, or if you want other people to, you know, to sort of galvanize around what your ideas are. And it's really easy to not have doubt in what you do if you are staying true to your core principles, right? Particularly if they're, you know, what what society would seem deep, you know, deem as like good principles or honest principles, right? Like it becomes a very easy process. But, you know, what I found is like we consistently have to contextualize what we're doing. So if I'm creating, you know, brand pillars for the organization and communicating them out, it can't just be like, well, here's our four brand pillars and their words on paper. It's, you know, here's why we chose these pillars. Here's how we're going to live these pillars every day. And not only like live them, but like create frameworks for, for consistently integrating them into our organization, um, for commute, you know, talking about them, for evaluating them and continuing to evolve with them, right. To, you know, pitching them to people that we're recruiting and getting them to understand who we are. Right. So that, you know, I always talk to people that we're recruiting, like, hey, you're you're interview- interviewing us as much as we're interviewing you. I want to make sure that your values, you need to make sure that your values align with our values, right? And we sort of bet that in the interview process, you know, as much as we need to understand whether their values sort of match ours, right? Like, I want them to have that same sort of mentality of like, is this the right fit for me, right? And, you know, again, it's about contextualizing it, um, you know, because unless you, you put context to that and, and the why to that, you know, uh, you know, people aren't necessarily going to be as bought in as you. When you say contextualize, for me, I think about allowing people to live the purpose of an organization in their own way, just tapping into some of their own motives and intrinsic strengths. But what, what do you mean when you say contextualize? Well, it's really the why. So if we're creating, you know, we recently went through a, a sort of rebranding, sort of repillar process in our organization as we've grown. And the four values they came up with was grit, gratitude, growth, and guidance. The four G's, as we call them. And it'd be one thing for me to say, hey, you know, everyone, we, we came up with these new values. They sound great on paper. Um, you know, versus another thing of, of saying, how did we arrive at these? 
you know, what do they mean? What does it mean to the organization in terms of growth, right? So growth could mean growth of our company. It can mean growth of individuals. You know, it could mean growth of as leaders. It can mean growth of our clients. It can mean growth of our network partners who create content. Contextualize what growth means, right? And if let's say, you know, part of that is growth of our employees. Well, what does that mean? It means we create training. It means we create frameworks for leadership training, for, you know, um, tactical training for their jobs, for lunch and learns, for cross training, for conversation, you know, for committees that talk about these things, right? That's what the contextualization of it is. They're like sort of painting the vision of like, hey, these are the values that we'd like you guys to live. And here's why we created them. And here's all the ways that we can implement them and what it means, you know, all the way through like our performance review process of, hey, we're going to sort of like, you know, grade your qualitative relative to these four components of our value chain, right? And and once you sort of set that context, it allows people to operate sort of freely within that. So like we've had, like we've had the creation of like 10 different committees, all the way from like a wellness committee to a recycling committee to a DNI committee to you name it, right? And I haven't been guiding that. What I did was sort of create the the framework and context of like, why it's important for our organization and, and to them personally, the contextualization of like, why is this important to you personally? Why is gratitude an important trait for you both as an individual, but also as a professional, right? And, and what does that mean for you? And, and how will this benefit you and help you grow both, you know, personally and professionally? And once you sort of give them that light, I think, you know, the light bulb goes off and they're just like, oh, here's all the awesome ways that I could see me implementing this based on my interest and personality and you know so on and so forth whereas i think you know going back years ago like we just didn't you know i necessarily didn't have the time to put a lot of contextualization behind like all the thought you know like i mentioned like 10 years of thought of like values right and the organization i wanted to build and all of that it's really hard when you're building a business and you're doing you know so many different things to then go back to your staff and and really sort of give that impassioned sort of you know, contextual speech on like, here's our value chain and why, and here's what it means for you personally. And, you know, it sort of just becomes words on paper and they're not as lived as they could be, you know, versus sort of what we've instituted and implemented now. That's great. Cause yeah, so many times, as I said, it's just their words on a, on a building or on a wall or on a internet site or whatnot. You talked a lot about some of the things that you've implemented to really infuse your value pillars throughout the organization. Take me back a little bit in terms of some of the challenges of growing and scaling and, and staying truly value centric. You started as a, a small firm here in San Diego. You merged with a, an agency in, in Houston, now have three offices, obviously have added a great deal of headcount. So tell me about some of the challenges and what you did to overcome those to and stay true to those values. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's, there's mistakes along the way, um, you know, um, I think in a lot of ways, you know, I, I tried to think of it, I tried to simplify it in my mind a little bit, right, strategically and say, like, you know, how can we institutionalize a lot of these things to stay true to them? And part of that was, like, sort of flipping the concept of client first on its head, right? So prior to merging with, with the Houston team, Ad Results Advertising, you know, their, their sort of mantra as an agency was, like, client first. And... I get it, right? Like we're a services organization, you want to put the clients first. I think what had happened, you know, prior to us merging with them was that 
the value was more placed on on the client than the actual employee right and you know i think culturally there was definitely some headwinds internally you had you know a pretty toxic culture and and there was there was folks in there who were who were cancerous and and they had sort of a set of values that they had on paper but no one was living them no one was institutionalizing them and it just wasn't being sort of proliferated uh, you know at all or you know or at any sort of frequency right so the client actually wasn't coming first because the employees weren't being focused on right and those are the frontline of our business you know to our clients so when i came in i basically was just like let's flip it on its head let's make the employee the hub and then you have all the different spokes right so employee hub is like hr let's create an hr group right so let's create a focal point or a fulcrum for for what this organization can do to grow and and stay client first but it's client first by being employee first and that simple sort of switch, it seems sort of like semantics, but that simple switch changed everything where we're able to go through and then say, okay, if we're employee first, you know, we need to look at our benefits. You know, where can we improve our benefits? If we're employee first, we need to focus on developing leadership. We need to focus on creating goals, which weren't there. You know, we need to institute goal setting. We need to institute performance reviews. We need, we need to institute one-on-ones. We need to institute like, methods of communication between leaders and subordinates we need to create messaging from the top down of what we're doing as an organization right we need to revamp our entire recruiting process you know what questions are we asking what profiles are we looking for what emphasis are we placing on the folks that we're bringing in are we placing more emphasis on leadership and critical thinking and problem solving you know something that's a bit more qualitative and harder to train in nature or replacing emphasis that company you know on somebody who can come in here you know, hammer out a ton of work, but they're just miserable. And, you know, they create sort of a toxic culture, although they're sort of operating at some level of efficiency that may have deemed been deemed appropriate. Right. Um, you know, so I really sort of took a step back and said, like, we really need to sort of break down the organization and rebuild it based on the theory of employee being first. Right. And the filtering system was, was the values that we had in place at that point. And at that point, it was like 10 different values. Right. It was a lot. Um, and these are all the things that sort of had like bubbled up over my lifetime that I put on paper that I'm like, we need to do all these things. Right. And I just didn't understand sort of that it would that may have been overwhelming for, you know, for employees to see that many or at least remember them. Right. Versus the crystallization of like, you know, one to four different values. But it was there and it was our filtering system. So it was really sort of that that sort of shift in culture and mindset of like, yes, we're client first, but we're employee first first. Right. And if you build an incredible employee base, one that's sticky, one that's evolving and growing and talented and happy and motivated and inspired, you know, then the client's going to get the best possible service that they can because of that employee base is willing to run through a brick wall for them and for you and for themselves. Right. And I mean, it, you name it, we, we sort of unearthed every single stone in the organization and, and figured out where we could do better you know, and, and where we really feel like, you know, we could, we could be more employee centric in nature and the institutional values in the early was the filtering system. And then obviously the evolution was we had created, you know, the framework and then we created new values to kind of go above that, you know, back in 2018. How do those values shift? You mentioned 10 values from the early days of, of Brown Bread Digital and then, and then calling those down into four. So what was the, what was the drive of the shift of those and where do those come from? 
I, I think um, I think simplification, right? Like what I was noticing over time was that myself and some of the other leaders, you know, were really sort of living the values daily, um, and they understood the values. It was contextualized for them, and they were they were living them daily. And and they may have been like leadership, accountability, you know, collaboration, integrity, proactivity, self-development, knowledge, professionalism. These are a lot of the values that we had, we had sort of instituted, right? I put that in air quotes because I thought I had instituted them. I'd created one sheeters for folks. I sent it out there. You know, we were trying to sort of integrate them into this new performance review process that we created from scratch. But what I was finding was that, um, it was probably the top 5% that sort of embodied the values and lived the values and the other 95% weren't. A, because we didn't have a champion internally, um, sort of, and that's HR and our head of HR, sort of living these values daily and working with our folks frequently to let make them understand sort of like what these values mean and why it's beneficial for them in the organization. So that champion didn't exist. And the other thing was like, I think they were diluted in a sense because there were so many right? Like I didn't necessarily crystallize what the values were. I put a bunch of sort of words on paper that I, you know, that, that I felt looked good and that I felt were important to growing a business or growing personally or professionally, but I didn't necessarily, it was, it was a lot and I didn't necessarily make it easy for them to adopt or adapt to them. Right. So, you know, when I, when I truly kind of a chance to kind of sit back and say like, how do I get the 90, other 95% of our organization on board with these values where they're using the same filtering system, where they're approaching their jobs in the same way, where they're motivating, inspiring others, where they're truly leading? How do I do that? I kind of went back to the, the drawing table and part of what came out was like, we need to simplify our value chain, right? Like how do we, how do we sort of encompass all the things that may have been before written before, but sort of crystallize them a bit better so people can understand and then how do we roll that out, right? Like, how do we create a mechanism of frequency? How do we create a me mechanism for adoption? How do we create people, you know, how do we put people in positions to lead the efforts of proliferating these values within the organization and using them as their filters, right? So part of the genesis was I, I was somewhat frustrated with myself for not being able to do a good enough job of getting people to adapt these Whereas they probably, again, rolled their eyes and said, like, oh, there's Kurt again talking about, like, critical thinking in, in his town hall meeting or this or that. But they were, they were, you know, they were probably where they were passionate to me. They were probably empty words to others where they didn't necessarily see sort of what I saw. Right. So I needed to figure out a way for them to see what I saw and to get them to truly live them daily. So that was the genesis. You mentioned in terms of having these values, it enabled people to, to run through brick walls for you. Obviously, the last six months have been incredibly challenging on so many levels. How have those value pillars supported your success and just hanging in there during this, this really challenging time? Um, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing how, A, it's amazing what our HR team has done to kind of help institute this stuff. You know, and I'll try to give some examples like, you know, let's say gratitude, right? Like, Every Friday, you know, and, and we're going through challenging times, both, you know, there's COVID, people are working from home, there's a lot of sort of, you know, adaption, you know, there's social justice issues, there's fires, there's tornado, there's hurricanes, everything, 2020 is just that disaster, it's a disaster every year, right? 
So as people, what do we sort of rely upon to get through these tough moments? And, and part of that is, you know, the reliance on, on say community, you know, people around you. Um, and it's the reliance on, on, you know, a concept of gratitude too, amongst other things. Right. But when I look at sort of, when I look at those two things specifically, like community, um, I can sort of translate that into guidance or growth, right? And our ability as an organization to help guide people through this journey and help them grow and evolve as individuals to get through these tough times. Um, and then there is gratitude, right? Like the appreciation of each other, the appreciation of the community, the appreciation of somebody else's work and the validation that comes from that, right? The positivity that is essentially exuded from the simple act of, you know, we have a gratitude Friday on Slack. On Friday, we have an employees board where everyone slacks like what they're grateful for. And it could be you're grateful to somebody else for helping you with a simple task. It could be that you're grateful that you got to hug your dog today. It could be that you're grateful for the organization. Anything that you're grateful for, put it on this board, right? And it's it's taken off. Like people absolutely love it and it makes people feel good. Right. And no matter how sort of down you might be, you might be, you know, reading the, the messages of gratitude are an incredible reminder of all the goodness and good things that still exist and that are still going on. You know, in terms of guidance and community, you know, we've created a ton of committees. Right. And a lot of the, the formation of the committees were really to combat sort of the loneliness that may come from and, and sort of lack of connection that comes from COVID or working from home. So, you know, the committees, like I said, I mean, we had social committees, you know, wellness committees, we've had the DNI committee, we've had recycling committees, we've had yearbook committees, we've had uh, cookbooks. I mean, I can't even name all the different initiatives that have happened to help sort of galvanize the team and bring them together. And I'd almost argue that, you know, the organization post COVID is closer with each other than it was pre COVID based on the institutionalization of our values, right? So they're able to take something like gratitude or guidance, you know, and, and guidance could be in the form of like, here are some tips and tricks on how to work from home, how to work from home efficiently. Here's some tips and tricks on how to manage somebody remotely. All these documents and all these processes, these were all created post COVID in order to provide, you know, guidance for folks to do their job and to help them feel supported. And that came from the filtering system of our values, right? And then there's grit, right? Just sort of the sheer fact that like, yeah, we're all going through it. And, you know, sometimes you just need grit in order to keep going. Like sometimes there's just not the answer of like, you know, oh, if I, you know, if only this got better or what was me or what was me for this or whatever the case is, like, it's just like, okay, this is what it is. Let's roll up the sleeves and kind of get it done. Right. Um, so again, it's a lot of like the, you know, I, I think the framework of the four G's has provided the institutionalization and creativity, the institutionalization of the application of these ideas or the of the values, but also like it allowed people to be really creative about how to approach it. Right. And I didn't have to dictate that anymore. It became a living, breathing, evolving mechanism within the organization um, that that like I'm really proud of and I'm proud of everyone who has sort of stepped up and, and, and took the effort to understand like the contextualization of what these values mean and, and how they can apply them and how it could benefit them. And, and what I always tell folks, whether it's in an interview or whether I'm doing like a, a skip level meeting with them is like, 
you know, hey, I don't want anyone to ever leave Ad Results Media. If you want to be here for the next 30 years of your career, that's fantastic. But I have no sort of, I, I'm not misguided in the sense that I think you're going to stay here forever. But what I, what I will say is that my job is to prepare you for the growth of your career and the evolution of your career personally and professionally, no matter what. So when, if you do leave Ad Results Media, you're a better professional and, you know, you're maybe a better person than you were when you walked through these doors. And for that, I'm incredibly proud of what we're doing as an organization, not just in terms of client service, but the development of, of people and, you know, within our organization and, and truly being sort of people centric. Right. And I think when people hear that, you know, they're inspired to go help somebody else, right? Like, oh, well, I want to help that person become better, even if they don't stay here. It's not a waste of my time, right? Because I, if the end game is for me to be proud of what they become or who they become, regardless of their ad results or not, then we're all on the same page of like, let's help each other out, right? Because it's just the right thing to do. Um, and, and I think people have really sort of resonated with that. You truly have maintained a value-centric organization, and that's great to hear that you it's been an anchor point during some really challenging times it has and and i definitely like you know i, I don't think it would have been possible without the creation of like our our hr group and and they're somewhat of our you know trojan horse right and you know they're able to kind of work with people directly and in our in cena who darren i know you know she's been amazing about taking these ideas and bringing them to life and it's it's just really important and i think she bought in when i when i you know, told her the concept of like, you're the hub, right? Like HR and, and human resources and employee first is like the, it's really the catalyst of growth. You know, we could say it's like the, the new client win or the client spending X, but none of this is happening without, you know, a strong internal core. And once she understood that vision and what we were trying to do and understood the impact that she has and human resources has on the development of people, in addition to sort of the, the correlation to the growth of the company, you know, it was kind of amazing to see it come to life and come to life pretty quickly. So, you know, and, and prior to our merger without results, you know, they didn't have an HR team, right? Like, again, it was sort of this concept that they had these words on paper, but they didn't necessarily take action to institute them and um, no fault of their own. You know, it was just something that were, I think, we were able to come in and, and really sort of take a different approach to it. Last question for you to close us out. What advice do you have for, for leaders who are trying to infuse some of those values into their team or in, even their own personal leadership style or to their organization? Yeah, make the, make the process of value creation collaborative. And, and I didn't mention this before, but when we created the four G's, it, 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 we have a steering committee and the steering cons committee consists of uh, eight, eight different people. You know, we can call them the leadership team. And instead of me saying, I'm going to push, I'm going to think of these values and kind of push them downward. Right. Which is kind of what I did originally. Right. W when we took the step back, we had a, a couple of days of meetings, like off sites. We literally took them off site and we made them a part of the, the value creation process. Right. And it was getting feedback from each person, you know, a, they're sort of like their own personal views on, on specific values, but also they can communicate what their team's views were or certain individuals within their team. So I truly understood kind of where we were organizationally, right? What people desired and what they thought was valuable. 
and then and then we can craft something that that sort of made sense for everyone that they had buy-in into right like there was immediate buy-in because they helped craft it and once you have the leadership team buy-in which includes hr the the proliferation of those ideas becomes much easier to institute because they're bought in it's already it's pre-contextualized right they're already bought in they're willing to kind of like hit the ground running and run through a brick wall for you to get these values instituted because they're a part of the process. And that was an important component that obviously was missed, you know, way back. Um, and I feel like that was also a huge catalyst for us, you know, not only sort of nailing the values. I mean, they were, I think they were the right values, but, but getting them sort of institutionalized, which is, is even the harder step than, than the creation of them. And then, you know, from a fun point of view, I'm not going to say everyone should do this, but, you know, when we announced the values at the town hall, we actually had somebody like create a rap song about it. And we had a, like, a DJ come in and they like did a rap about it and like did this whole sort of song and dance around it. And, and really the point was to get everyone energized and make it fun and not just some boring sort of corporate initiative. Right. It was a, it was really sort of bringing it to life in, in ways. And then we had each leader talk about in their personal lives, what each value meant to them and, and tell a personal story, right? So, so again, contextualize it and personalize it, right? So that people truly understood like, oh, I didn't know that like so-and-so, you know, went through this in their life. That really shows grit. Or, you know, someone that went up there and basically talked about what they're grateful for or, you know, how somebody, you know, mentored or guided them in their career and the impact that it had on them, right? Like put stories, you know, use podcasting example, podcasting storytelling, use stories to contextualize, you know, the, you know, what we're trying to do and get people to truly sort of, um, relate to it. Great. Well, Kurt, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. This was, this was really fun. And, um, yeah, it's easy for me to talk about this stuff just because I'm, I'm so impassioned by it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Savage Leader Podcast. My hope is you are walking away with tactics that you can apply to become a better leader in your life and in your career. If you're looking for additional insight and tactics, be sure to check out my book titled The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and I would truly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also rate the podcast. Thanks and see you all in the next episode.